All right. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm really excited uh, tonight because I am having a conversation with one of my oldest friends who is also um, a leader in product management at Amazon um, and has a quite a bit of a track record on the strategy and product fronts. Uh, well, Al-Sahar, well, welcome. Hey, Adam, good to see you. Good, good to hear from you. I, I wish I can see you. I wish it's, <laughs> I'm in sunny uh, Texas, but uh, but I can I can have I have to do with your voice. But uh, yeah, exactly. Great, great being here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time, man. Um, so, I guess um, one like quick thing. I, I just want to like give the the audience a quick background. So Well and I have known each other for I think 21 years now. I um, almost yeah, actually yeah, did the math last night. <laughs> um and uh we've 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 had very similar journeys um I guess um in terms of, you know, career so far. Um so well why don't you give like a very quick overview of of your journey um because I think you've had a really fascinating one because you started out as a software engineer and then you transition to um, to strategy consulting, and then you transition to product management in multiple different areas in product as well, not very similar ones. So I'll let you, you know, give just a quick rundown. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what to do when I grow up. And you just described it. Just <laughs> we all are. <laughs> endearing my way through it. Um, yeah, no, thank you for the introduction. And uh, as you said, we've known each other for a very long time. Um, I think we we met in the in university yeah uh, and i i started as you mentioned i i did computer science and just reflecting back on it for no good reason like i think it was cool around like late 90s to be into right. computer science. um and i kind of went into computer science without having any idea about what that means um career-wise like I've, I've always used computers i had computer when I was like 11 and it's one of the greatest things that my parents did to me um but uh but yeah I had no good idea about what it means as a career um so I went I went into university I did the computer science I got my computer science degree uh as you know while in university in university as well um got really involved into in activities and student government um and I kind of liked the people aspect of things uh right. I like being able to accomplish things through a lot of people. And I, I think it's one of the things that we've been lucky f about is just having the space to do activities and organize like tens or hundreds of people around. Right. Yeah. In, in our university. Yeah. Um, so I got drawn into that. Um, so when I, when I left, when I, when I graduated and I started working for, for IBM, um, I kind of, had the option to be a software engineer or there was this new thing around this time IBM just acquired, uh, I think it was Deloitte Consulting, right? Or sorry, PwC. Um, and they were getting into the consulting business and they're like, we can hire you as a business analyst. And I mm. had no idea what that was. But I thought you were um, an engineer at IBM. I didn't know that. Uh, part. So, so, so the thing is, like, I, I basically said, like, yeah, sure, I'm going to be a business analyst. Uh, <laughs> what I was doing day to day was actually kind of solution engineering, um, mainly right. because I didn't know better. And I came to realize that everyone I worked with didn't even know better either. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they didn't know what consulting was. They just got the memo from, like, New York that right. we're, we're in consulting now. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
but uh, but everyone I was working with was an engineer, so we basically just continued to do engineering. So it was work. more like systems architecture and 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 stuff like that. Yeah, solution like big scale solution design. Like around mm. that time, IBM. And I think it still is like mainly a hardware business. Like they're 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 trying to sell like mainframes and P servers, um, and and basically they build a solution kind of business around it. Where I was part of the government solutions team, um, and basically that meant we go to I don't know like the border control kind of agency, mm. um, tell them like we're going to build a system for you that will help you, I don't know, like control how many people coming in and out and have analytics around it and so on. Um, and oh, for that to work, you'll need to buy this data center from us, right? Right. Uh, so and that was, I think that phase was um, part of the, um, the big famous turnaround story of IBM from just being a hardware company to being a services company, which Lou Gerstner um, yeah. led, right? Yeah, exactly. So and then yeah. mentioned that, but yeah, that that was one of the reasons I went to work for 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 IBM. Is after graduation, I went to the army, and during that year, I read his book. Um, right, exactly. I, and, I read it around the same time as well. Yeah, yeah, and I was very excited about 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 the company and kind of what that means. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm being facetious, but the transition was happening. Like we were selling solutions; we were not just selling hardware. Right. Uh, we were billing at a much higher rate, obviously. Um, mm. But um, but what was missing, and maybe I'm thinking about it in retrospect, is um, is thinking about context and strategy and why are we building these things in the first place and what business problem right. are you solving? Uh, that wasn't part of it. Uh, that it was it was still kind of like the customer wants the solution. It was this it was these particular specs, um, and we were just delivering that to them. Um, Interesting. You know, I almost um, I almost joined IBM at the same time. I think we were we would have been working in the same office, actually. But I, oh. um, yeah, I, I didn't. Um, after all, I went to work for for 3M at that time. That 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 office was I, I worked in tons of offices around the world. And that office is probably one of the greatest offices I worked in. And no one can believe it now when I tell them, like, my first job, I had an office with a view of the permits. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And, and it, it is true. Like the permits are right there. Sphinx was right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you never think twice about it, like growing up there, obviously. But now, right. at it, they're like, yeah, I was working like. Next yeah, time. it was pretty cool. I, I remember <laughs> where it was. It was it was very strategically positioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then uh, you went on to to do like actual consulting later, the, like strategy the, consulting, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. Like because because I was at IBM and I had this kind of question burning question about what what does consulting mean and every few months we have a big project and we someone would fly in from new york or from chrome who is like an actual consultant for ibm and they'll come in and like do cool presentations so i was i was really curious about what what does it mean to actually be a strategy consultant um right didn't know much about it except that there are a couple of companies that are the best in that space uh, a couple of firms uh, one of them is McKinsey, and I was like, okay, how can I go work for McKinsey? And everyone was just like, you need to have an MBA. Uh, mm. I was like, sure, let me let me go try to get one of those. Right. Uh, and that's how I ended up in Colombia. Um, and after like a couple of years, well, after one year there, I was really lucky. I got the internship at, at McKinsey, and then I got the full-time offer. So I went back right. there, and I started working in the New Jersey office at the time. Um, right. 
And yeah, how, how long were you there for? Couple, three at, years at or something? Or like, no, almost almost five years. Oh wow! Um, I didn't realize yeah. it was that long. Okay, I know. Me neither. Um, it yeah, it was it was a good period of time. Uh, I think it was for me like one thing I just didn't kind of glossed over is the fact that there's a huge change in context, right? Like I grew up in Egypt. I um, I kind of never worked outside and I went to business right. school in New York and basically McKinsey was my first job in kind of outside of my country. Um, oh, birth, using yeah. A using a different language the whole day. Um, right. It was kind of, it was, it was an interesting adjustment. Uh, and That's fascinating. Then, That's actually a really interesting point because I think a lot of the, the listeners are in, um, like not in the U.S. There's, I think, half of, of, of everybody listening is, is all over the place um, from India to Europe to South Africa to um, the Middle East. Um, so I, I'm really curious how, how that transition was like because I went through a similar one, but I think mine was a little more staged. <laughs> so how, how was it like for you? Um, yeah, I mean, it was thinking back on it. Uh, it was a little bit, uh, what's the right word? Like, um, there, it's not, it wasn't one, one thing or the other. And what I mean by that is McKinsey, like, like a lot of big firms in the U.S. Uh, are very diverse. Um Right. So I remember when I went through the interview loop, um, everyone I met was kind of not traditional, kind of what I, what I expect to be traditional American kind of right. Person, right? Like there are a lot of people from all different backgrounds. Um, so in, 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 in one hand, it was kind of an easier transition. It's kind of the same transition that I talk to people about when I say like how moving to New York from Cairo is probably easier than moving to New York from I don't know, like somewhere uh, in the middle of no, like nowhere in the, right. in the south, or like in in in, in mid, not middle of nowhere, but like a small a small place. Right. Uh, so the, big the city to big city is, exactly. is a lot the easier. Yeah. The diversity um, was 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 the traffic, was <laughs> yeah, all that. <laughs> <laughs> People with impatient attitudes. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so in one hand, it was actually really uh, comforting in a way because kind of everyone around me was kind of like me in a way. The, a right. lot of people had access. They kind of came from all sorts of different backgrounds. But then when I started working with clients, and that's basically like McKinsey, like a lot of other consulting firms, tends to have most of their clientele be be like very traditional businesses. That's 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 why they have consultants, right? Interesting. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, that's very true. Very, very traditional kind of corporate America kind of um, environments. And that's when it started feeling a little bit like, oh, um, things are a little bit different. Um, right. And, and they're different in like the small things, right? Like being able to connect with someone on something other than work, uh, like talking right. about people or like football and things that I kind of was aware of. I'm a curious person, but didn't grow up with. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So there's an element of kind of, uh yeah you, you you feel a little bit on the outside uh for a while uh until until you start picking it up and then realizing again because everyone around you had to learn it that the ones who are doing it well kind of learned how to do it well uh <laughs> right the news and uh and, and uh kind of the sports section before like meeting this client that they know kind of is big on football um 
And, and one of the big transformational pieces to me, because I, consultants, as you know, like do a lot of presentations and yeah. I mean, doing a presentation is stressful. Uh, if, if you, in an unfamiliar environment, in an unfamiliar language, it's even, or like less familiar language, it's, it's even more. Yeah, it compounds it, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think one of the things I remember now is like this partner I used to work with at McKinsey and she was like a white American, kind of like very traditional background. Um, and she gave me comments about my fe feedback about like this one presentation I made. And I basically told her like, listen, I, there's this, I'm stressed about it and so on. Mm. And, and, and her, her, her advice was, I kind of still remember it until this day, which was, yeah, everyone does and everyone practices like this guy. And she pointed Interesting. this director okay. who was like, if you, if you can think about a director in a consulting firm, they're like right. very slick, very comfortable. It feels like they're very comfortable in their own skin. It's just right. presentation is second nature to them. And then she pointed at him and she's like, I was practicing with him this presentation he just gave the client this morning. We went over it hmm. like multiple times to get it right. Um, Fascinating. That, that, that's really good feedback, actually, because it's very, um, it's actionable and comforting at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, it just reduces your anxiety by analogy of, hey, everybody does, even these senior guys that you perceive to be like really slick, which kind of indirectly paints a picture to your brain that, hey, there's, it's just a path and I'm going to get there. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Like there, there is a way to get there. Yep. Exactly. And uh, it's funny that you say that because um, actually early, earlier today, I was um, talking on the phone to um, one of the senior partners at a, one of the big consulting firms um, who is a friend. And um, he was just telling me, hey, I was, you know, giving this Zoom presentation a couple of weeks ago to um, the C-suite of one of the large um, enterprise software companies. And I couldn't imagine after 20 years in consulting that I would be stressed. And I was. Yeah. Um, like this literally happened this morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> of course, I mean, uh, we, we made some jokes about it, but it just continues to be there, um, I think, um, in, in consulting particularly, even more than anything else. I think I think it's there in, in in everything you do, right? And there's, it's very easy to fall into cliches here. But um, if if nothing is, if you're not stressed about something or if you're not anxious about something, there's also the argument that maybe you're not challenged or you're not doing something that's stretching you yeah. anymore. Um, so at that point, like giving a presentation to a bunch of like executives uh, in a big pharma distribution company was for me a stretch. I'm, of course, probably, yeah. I'm not going to be as stressed out about it now for a lot of reasons I can talk about, but, but that's not what I do also day to day. So exactly <laughs> we got stressed yeah. out, uh, about now. Um, so anyway. you did consulting for like five years, which is um, a decent amount of time for consulting, given how, yeah. how you know, most people burn out um, after just a couple of years. Um, so you felt you did a lot of strategy work and, 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 transformations if i remember correctly yeah um and then you transitioned into um product management at amazon right yeah um why, and why did you pick amazon particularly and i mean tell us a little bit more about what you did at amazon but i'm, I'm also curious to know why you picked amazon because i think we we both did the same exact transition and yeah. i had a very specific reason why i picked amazon versus anybody else and yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to hear your story 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. Um, so, so towards the end of my time at McKinsey, I started gravitating. So McKinsey has different verticals or, or different functional areas, if you will. Uh, and people over time gravitate towards doing like more marketing work, more operations work and so on. Um, right. I was doing mostly operations and supply chain kind of work in the consumer, in the consumer space. Um, and for a couple of reasons, one is that I just found people that I like kind of doing that kind of work and that's important always. Um, but also because supply chain, I still had an engineer mind and to my engineer mind, supply chain made more sense than most other things because <laughs> there are formulas and there are numbers and there are solutions at the end, uh, yeah. even if they're hard to get by, but there's, there's like an optimal level of inventory, for example, like somewhere, right? So anyway, so I was doing a lot of, uh, of, of that work and I remember like during my last year at, uh, at McKinsey, that was like 2013, where literally every conversation ended up with, not ended up, but at some point in every conversation was a client, there was a mention about what is Amazon doing? How can we learn about, from, about how Amazon is, is, is doing this? How are they doing their plan? Yeah. And one particular situation, actually, I was in the UK. I was in Leeds uh, serving a client in the in the grocery business, um, mm. the day that Amazon announced that they're launching uh, Amazon Fresh in the UK. And oh. it was really like people were panicking. Like I was in a meeting where oh, everyone wow. <laughs> looked like they looked that they saw a ghost. Yeah. Uh, and and they're like, yeah, what are we gonna do? This is like we're screwed. And <laughs> <laughs> I know the look that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I was very curious, kind of because that was happening. I, I, I wouldn't say I've done much, except that when someone reached out to me from Amazon saying, we want a product manager who understands supply chain and it sounds like, well, we, we want someone who, who, who has a tech background but understands supply chain. Right. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna talk to you. Um, and they even like offered me a role that I wasn't interested in. I told them, no, I wanna do something else. And Amazon at some point, like, it, it's it's it, it's a hit and miss. It's a big company now, but like usually recruiting is very good at saying at finding the right person and then trying to find them the right role. Right, uh, and that's in precisely my, what happened with me too. Yeah. yeah, in my in my case, they they found me this great role that I was so excited about, um, and um, and yeah, I just yeah we can go into it. But to answer your question, that was the reason, and I I remember. Um, in the interview, I, I got asked the question, like, why are you thinking about Amazon? You seem to be doing well. And my point was, I read a lot about kind of early Silicon Valley kind of history and people who built big companies and did good things. Um, and there was always a connection to like Xerox Labs, Xerox uh, or like uh, Bell Labs. Uh, right, yeah. In the 70s. Uh, and and for me, Amazon felt like that for the internet and the e-commerce and the e-commerce. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to be there at least at some point um, to, to just get some of that kind of knowledge. Or yeah, I, th I think that's a that's a brilliant point, actually, because I think it, it articulates very well how a lot of us feel um, without knowing exactly 
what to call it, right? Like a lot of us end up gravitating towards technology, particularly um, feeling that, hey, there's there's something interesting there, but we, we don't know exactly what it is. But I think I really like the way you put it. Like when you read history of early Silicon Valley or um, early technology in the US in general, there's always a connection to Bell Labs. Like Bell Labs was really at the very center of the vast majority of things that we take for granted today. And right now we're living into this in this golden age where you have a few Bell Labs actually, right? Like and Amazon is probably, I mean, I'm biased obviously, so I'm going to call it the most important of them, um, but, but it's definitely one of them. Um, and that's a really good way to put it um, because I think at the end of the day, people who are like generalists or like problem solvers, et cetera, they just tend to gravitate towards areas where there are the hardest problems to solve, right? And um, actually that very same person that I was telling you that I was talking to this morning um, about presentation stress once told me a couple of years ago, um, I think the reason we're all um, gravitating towards technology versus, you know, consulting, for example, um, a few years ago, um, is because this is where the hardest problems are now versus a decade ago where, you know, most of the hard problems were management problems in corporate America. Yep. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that's that's a really brilliant point. So, so, so you started with Amazon and you started as um, uh, in product, right? Yes. Uh, I was a principal product manager. Um, and I, I think this is one, one of the things that you probably – kind of want to talk about and or, or like your audience would be interested in about what does what does it mean to be a product manager yes. uh, <laughs> well <laughs> I mean I, I, I kind of had an idea I think I read a couple of books when this was was a thing and I was thinking about the interviews and so on um, but for me when I got hired without exactly knowing what a product manager does but people saw something in my interview and my experience that they were like he can do that job um, hmm. for me, the encapsulation of what the product manager does is my first meeting with the VP of the organization I was in and he basically telling me, listen, we have this problem. I was in charge of something called large item delivery experience, uh, okay. big name that doesn't mean much, but he basically said like, listen, I get an email, a question mark email from Jeff Bezos every week about this heavy bulky <laughs> Make it go away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, that captures it very well. <laughs> that basically was my job. Uh, yeah. get, make this go away. And I mean, he was facetious about it. And, and for people who know about the Jeff Bezos question mark emails. Uh, yeah, maybe let, let's tell the audience because I think we, we both got a couple of those. Um, yeah. but let's tell the audience a little bit more. I'm actually writing an essay about it, but uh, let's give them a quick overview. Yeah, there, it's, it's a very interesting kind of management tool when you think about it. Um, yeah. But, but, I mean, it's a very simple idea. Like, Jeff Bezos' email is pretty much public. Uh, Jeff, Jeff B at Amazon.com. Like, a lot of people know about it. Um, and a lot of people write him. Uh, basically, suppliers, vendors, customers, um, to thank him for things, but mostly to, to criticize things that happened uh, with their Amazon experience. It could be like a late delivery, um, someone who's root on customer service call or, or whatever. Um, and you can imagine like Amazon has like millions of customers. They, they get, he, Jeff Bezos probably gets thousands of emails. I have no idea what the actual number is, but it's a lot of emails. 
Right. But but he and his staff actually go through the emails. And what they do is this, they try to kind of think about themes and try to see trends in those emails. And when he starts seeing things that kind of is recurrent or is indicative of potentially systematic issues, um, exactly. what, he does yeah. Is, yeah, what he does is just simply forwards the, the customer email verbatim and adds a question mark on top, which yep. uh, the subtext of that question mark is, why is this happening? Give me an answer really quickly. Give me an answer. Why is this happening? And tell me how you're, this is not going to happen again. And that's, yeah. that's probably like my early learning was answering the email by saying like, here's what happened. There's not enough. Uh, it's right. like, well, how, how is this not going to happen again or to other customers? Right. Yeah, no, I, it's, a, it's a very, very fascinating management style. And I, I love it because it acts as a forcing function for the organization to think deeply about structural problems versus um, like individual incidents. Um, and I, I personally had a couple of those as well. Actually, I had the bigger one happened like, I think maybe a month after I joined Amazon um, where I got an email from my boss, um, which is just a forward from an email that Jeff had sent him. Um, and it was, it was quite an intense experience, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to write a separate essay on that. Um, so you were saying about the question mark emails, your boss was telling you that make those go away. Um, and that's essentially what the product role was like, right? Well, I mean, like one, one, one cynical reading is that you, let's, let's make the boss happy. Uh, but, but what's more important in this case is that the reason Jeff Bezos was forwarding those emails is that we were creating customer pain. Right. Uh, and the point was make the customer pain go away, right? And exactly. I, and I think I think I think that's a really good motivation. And I I think motivation is always important for a position or a role or or, or a particular kind of job. Um, but but I think this is one of the great motivations of of being in product management, which is there's something that that is broken, something that's not right. And right. you go on, a, on the righteous kind of campaign to 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 fix the world, right? Like right, exactly. Have that that drive sometimes. Um, but I, th I think there is another um, angle to to how you described it that is also very relevant to product management, which is that um, like generalist kind of like general athlete kind of mindset, yeah. right? Like make the problem go away or make the situation better or whatever. And it's not really. Um, like a prescribed role, right? Like you yeah. just, whatever it takes, you're going to jump into it and dive deep today in supply chain tomorrow in you know, user experience. And the day after you're building a financial model to understand the financial impact of this. That's such you know a good, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this role, I think there's a lot of kind of stories in this role about, about what exactly you're saying, but um, I'll tell you one, but, but just more generally, I, I, I think, I think there is that fallacy especially in Silicon Valley or like in the Silicon Valley culture, which is not necessarily only, only in Silicon Valley, obviously, uh, around product managers being kind of, they have a relationship with engineers. There's almost like a one-to-one -one thing between a product manager and engineer. And depending on the company, someone is calling the shots and someone else is doing the work or like the other way around. And, and we can debate all of that. Um, but, but the engineering and, problem for uh, and a challenge for a tech for a product manager is that engineering is a hammer right right 
and 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 the quote about like when you have a hammer everything looks like a <laughs> like, like a nail. nail. <laughs> um, that 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 is, happens all the time in product management, and you get people who are always trying to build systems or build a better product in order to solve the customer problem. In this case, when I joined, um, we had we had that we had the software aspect. So just quick context: um, large items are basically TVs, sofas. Anything that Amazon cannot put in a FedEx box or a UPS box and deliver it to your place kind mm. of fell, fell into this large item delivery experience problem. Right. And most of the time, the problem is you, you have to schedule a delivery. So we cannot leave a TV in front of your, of your house. You cannot leave a sofa in front of your house. We have to deliver it inside your house, which means that we, we need to know when you're, you're there and we need to actually show up in time. That's a problem that we don't have to deal with most of other times because right. in most of our business, if you deliver early, that's great. In yeah, this exactly. business, it's not a good thing to have <laughs> be waiting for you when you come back from work. Yeah, um, that's fascinating because, again, nuances are so important to, to your job uh, as a product manager, right? Yeah, you think, absolutely. oh, early means better. But in this case, actually, early means way worse. Yeah. Okay, it's a failure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or someone can break it or something. So. Right. So, so, so we had we had a software problem or like a tech problem, which is the scheduling uh, logic. How are how are we how are we letting people select their their slots, and then how are we floating that to our carriers? How are we planning our delivery routes against it, and all that stuff? So there was there was a real tech kind of and data science problem, um, but but when you dig deeper. That was just one problem, the late delivery right. or, or incorrect delivery time. There's a lot of customer feedback. And this is one thing I learned at Amazon is listening to customer calls, walking the stores is the way we talk about it. Mm. But it's, it's basically like, how do you walk a virtual store? Well, you listen to customer calls, you read customer emails, you read customer reviews. Um, and, and then you start noticing that, well, it's it's sympathetic, like the, the delivery the, uh issue is one issue, but there are a lot of other issues like TVs get delivered with like cracked screens. Um, mm. a delivery person comes in and they throw the boxes in and they don't actually like take out the packaging as they should and so on. So you start peeling the onion and you're like, well, there's, there's more here to it. Right. And it, you start right. looking like what is actually causing customer pain. And eventually just to get to the point that you were trying to make is that the software kind of accurate planning issue was 30 percent of the problem that the customer was saying they have. Right. The other seventy percent right. was about the cracked screen, the bad packaging. So in this role, I went to visit fulfillment centers to see how are we handling packages. I had to talk to a mechanical engineer about the right pressure on the clamps to, hmm. to not crack a, a, a TV <laughs> screen, and then I had to go in the back of a truck to see actually when we put the, t the screens in there, how are you bracing them so they're not moving around uh, over long distances. Um, and then over time, like well, I discovered that what we need actually is like a packaging engineer to do this. So I went and hired the packaging engineer to kind of figure out this. how can we package stuff for, for, for heavy bulky delivery. And then a problem that starts as like, I could have, you could think about it as like, I'm a product manager, I'm trying to build software Right. Ended up being like really about changing operations, building a new supply network, uh, working on a new standard for packaging, actually, that we required our vendors to use. Um, 
a lot of stuff that traditionally we don't think about it as as like product manage tech product management. Exactly. Uh, but it's part of being an owner, and 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 I think that's the part the best definition of a product manager is as someone who owns a piece of the business. It can be bigger, can be small, um, and they're trying to make it successful. And if it if it means building software, as 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 a lot of problems kind of can be solved by software that you, you do that. Uh, but then sometimes it just means something completely different and, and you need to be able to do it as well. Yeah. And I, I really love the example, um, the story that you just told, because it, it really sort of illustrates what a, a good strong PM should be able to do, right? Like wearing multiple hats um, and, you know, jumping from, tech and user experience to something else um, and diving deep very quickly and getting familiar with areas that they're not familiar with um, very, very quickly. Um, and because I think a lot of people tend to picture a PM in like one of like three personas, right? Like mostly like um, one is like, hey, UX, right? You're somebody who just thinks about the user experience and then you work with engineers to, to build it. Um, and then the other is like the process person, right? The master of ceremony, the yeah. person who just handles, you know, sprints and um, plans and, and all this stuff. And then the third one is like, <laughs> I think a lot of people have the question mark with, of, I don't even know what the PM is, does, right? They, yeah. <laughs> I think designers and engineers do everything. I don't know what the PM does. Um, but and I, my, my least favorite one is, is the second one. Uh, yeah. Um, and not not because you cannot you don't do it you actually do have to do a lot of that. You have to do it, yeah. I remember someone was giving a talk about how to be a good product manager. Someone somewhere in Silicon Valley and say said something about like bring bring the coffee like to the to the engineers like you, you, <laughs> oh dear God or brings in the coffee and the donuts. And again, I don't mind doing that, um, but, yeah. but we kind of but there is more that you need to do. That actually, if, if I have to choose between the things you said, I think the first one where you think about the UX at least gets you closer to the customer. Because if you think about UX, you have to think about what the customer is thinking yeah. of, the problem they're trying to solve. It kind of lends you lends you closer to where, what the actual job is than the, and I, I don't mean this as a criticism at all of the company, but the Google view of the world of... Right. There is cool, cool, cool engineering to be built, and everyone's job is to get the engineers to build stuff and to get out of the way. Right. I was like, definitely, there's a great uh, tech to be built, and engineers actually have most of the time have very good ideas about what to build. Um, but it has to be about the customer. It doesn't have to be about the engineer. Like the engineer, yeah. everyone else is working for a customer. I totally agree, and I think this is one of those things where if you think a little more abstractly about Amazon and Google strategies, um, you can think of them as sort of inverse strategies, right? Like Amazon goes to the, to the customer first, figures out that there's a problem or an opportunity to make the customer happier somewhere, um, and then launches something, and then, you know, we'll build great engineering behind it afterwards. Yeah. Um, while Google does the exact inverse strategy, which is let's build great engineering around so many different areas. And because we're going to build such great tooling across the board, probably in the long term, we're going to solve multiple customer pain points much better than anybody else. And I, I don't know which one of them is like a long term winner and probably both are. 
Um, but they're, they're just very fundamental differences in the starting point of the thinking um, yeah. around what problems to solve, right? Absolutely. And I, and I mean, we, you, can, you can rightly criticize and say, well, I mean, the, the Amazon method is great for solving customer issues, but is it good at discovering new disruptive things that the customers were not even aware of? Like, can you, can right. you Google working backwards from the customer? It's very easy to talk about this in retrospect. I, I, yeah. I argue yes, but, but who knows? Like in 2001, I, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is the problem of the unknown unknowns, right? Yeah. Um, basically, if you start always just with a customer problem or with a customer data point, you're probably going to miss a lot of the zero to one sort of um, situations. Yep. Um, I think Amazon does a good job at actually balancing the two out, um, frankly. Like who would have thought of Alexa or AWS, actually, right? Yeah. Um, these were completely disruptive ideas and they didn't have to start just with a customer like um, data point. Um, these were very, very um, out of the box ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I think that the, we, this is a long topic, but I, I think this is, this is where Amazon as a capital allocator, as a, as a big, exactly. Yeah. VC fund really comes in where, we do a lot of those bets and some of them famously fail, like, like a fire phone. Fire phone. Uh, yeah. so, so that's, that, that, that's what gets missed in some of those discussions is that, yeah, you can right. you, you place, place bets, you work back from a customer and then you place bets and some of them work, some of them don't. And, but overall, yeah. Jeff talks about this that. very openly. Like I've seen multiple videos of him on YouTube and I'm talking about, hey, we, we make these bets and some of them fail and actually many of them fail. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and yeah. that's totally fine. Yeah, um, but I, I want to pull that thread a little bit more because I think it's a it's a fascinating topic for anybody who hasn't worked at Amazon. The the concept of you know being um, a giant VC fund and you know the the PR FAQ and process and the openness to these um, ideas like um, within the culture of the company, which I think is is something that a lot of people can learn from. Um, so, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what like the ideation process and the PR FAQ um, concept is like at Amazon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so Amazon is a company of few processes and it's one of the exactly. biggest adjustments for people coming in, especially expecting coming into a big company. Like I remember when I started at IBM, there was an IBM method for everything. <laughs> the IBM signature selling method, and you, you downloaded like a white paper to figure out how to be a salesperson at, at IBM. Right. Um, but then you come to Amazon, and we're like, uh, I have no idea what's the process for this. Why don't you kind of invent it? Um, yeah, exactly. Which which is which is just a function of like how quickly the company has been growing, especially over the last few years. Um, right. But the one process, I would say like maybe there are two, but like the one process that is consistent across Amazon actually is the working backwards process. And it's, it's a very lightweight process, but it's, it refers to what, how, do we, how do we build new products? Yeah. Uh, and the working backwards comes from working backwards from the customer. So we build new products by working backwards from the customer. Um, and there's, there's been a lot of coverage. I'm sure people have seen like articles written about it, but at a very, at a very high level, as a product manager, um, my first goal 
when I'm trying to think of a new thing to build or I have a hypothesis about what we need to be investing in, um, is to write something called the PR FAQ, which is a press release and, and, and frequently asked questions that goes with the press release. Right. Um, and it, it tries to force you as a product manager or, or anyone, actually not a product manager, anyone can write a PR FAQ. It tries to force you to say, in two years, in one year when I launched this product, what would a press release for that product look like? What would a new story about this product would look like? Look like? Exactly. And, yeah. and it's such a, fo a forcing function to get out of your head and what mm. is cool for you and what you're fascinated about in tech and talk about how a customer, a regular customer, will talk right. about, pro about your product. What is the quote that the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, like in their pre kind of uh, take us bad days, would write <laughs> would write about 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 your product. Um, it 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 lets you actually get out of your own head and get out of your own kind of inside baseball things that you're thinking about all day, mm. um, and just think and then kind of the, put yourself in the shoes of the mom in like Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, who is busy and trying to buy something and we're building this great feature for her. Right. Uh, so, so and, yeah. and just for, for, for the benefit of, of the audience. So the way it works is you write like a one page press release um, yeah. that is like, you know, at this day, Amazon has released this particular feature or this particular product and here's what it does. And there is a few quotes from customers or people. So you pretend like you're actually writing the press release. Yeah. of the product you just built um, yep. a year from now or six months from now or whatever it is. And then there's like between two to five pages or something of frequently asked questions, as in you also pretend like you're, you're being asked questions and try to anticipate what the questions are going to be. And some of them are going to be customer questions. Some of them are going to be internal questions, um, et cetera. And this whole like write-up um, is basically like Wild said, like a forcing function for you to think. And also it's the tool that you go and pitch with. So you could be a product manager or an operations manager, or anyone really at Amazon. And that's the beauty of it. Anybody can just go write a PR FAQ and go present it um, through like certain channels about a new idea or a new product that they want to build. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly, that's it. And yeah. When I said the working backwards method, that's it also, right? <laughs> right. This is the one thing we consistently, like pick a product. It's the Amazon. only process, really. Yeah, exactly. There's a PR for Q about Alexa. There's a PR for Q for AWS. And then there's exactly. a PR for every small yeah. thing. But, but it goes, it, it's a great document because you can, you can go back. The other thing is like you cannot run away from it. So what happens in, in a lot of big projects is that you start, wanted to do something and then things change, people change, and then you end up doing something completely different and then it doesn't work. And then you don't know why, what, what decision was wrong and what happened. And the PRFQs are great because, because you can go back and say like, here's what we intended to build all along. Are yeah. we tracking yeah. to it? Are we away from it? You cannot hide from that. That's yeah, exactly. There. Yeah. Um, and and the, the fact that it's also written in like vertical document format, it's not a presentation. It's not, PowerPoint slides. I mean, these are pretty much banned at Amazon. Um, also forces you to to actually read and think 
um, very, very thoroughly of of the problem and not hide behind like good visuals. You know what I mean? Or or good presentation, right? Like that. Yeah, exactly. I write as someone who maybe is comfortable presenting and another person who maybe English is not their first language or they're very uncomfortable presenting in a big group, doesn't matter. Like they, they'll spend the time, they write the, the PRFQ and if it's well thought out, it will stand on its own. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that, yeah. It's, it it's democratizes a, it quite a bit. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, in a world where a lot of people are talking all the time about, about hearing different voices and allowing different opportunities, mm. I think we need to think about, about the mediums uh, and and the tools and the mechanisms and and I think mechanisms like like this one where you take the 100%. person out of it and make it about the merit of the idea um, is very powerful in that sense. One hundred percent. It it just takes out a lot of the noise um, and it makes the conversation really about the idea, the data, the hypotheses, and um, no influence by presentation skills or visuals or any of that stuff um it's just straight up here's here's what we want to build and this is what we would say if we were to launch it in a couple of years or in six months um and this is the questions that we think the customers is going to ask and how we would answer them as well it's it's a a brilliant brilliant process i think and and the brilliance is in how simple it is as well yeah one of the best benefits of it also is like, and, and this happened to me a few times, is you get excited about something and then you sit down to write the PRFQ and then you realize that there's no way the customer <laughs> excited about it. Like there's nothing to write. It's happened to me so many times, exactly. <laughs> because you realize like, yeah, you're excited about it, but like customer doesn't care. So maybe you like don't spend right. time on it. Spend time on something the customer cares about. Right, yeah. And and, and if you're, the, the, the beauty of it is it makes you discover that really quickly, like literally in the first page, because if you fail to pretend that you're the customer and writing one coat to, to be excited about the product, then you just know right away, hey, there's a, a very strong signal that this is something mostly in my head. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, 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 you, so you did um, product management um, at Amazon. And I, I really want to pull the thread of one thing around this generalist sort of role, right? Especially in the role with um, with the large item delivery. Do you think that the years you spent in consulting, which is basically the, the ultimate generalist machine, right? Um, prepared you to be better at being a product manager, especially in solving problems beyond just like UX and, and stuff like that? Or do you think that the impact there was incremental? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough question to ask because it has to presume that you think you're good at it, at what you're doing and who knows. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, we'll, we'll assume that for now. <laughs> but I can tell you that you are because we've worked together. So <laughs> No, no I, but, but, but seriously, because I, I think, I think at, at some level, especially in a, in, in a space like this, where there, there are kind of no marginally right or marginally wrong things there, there are clearly right and clearly wrong ideas and I, I didn't have I, I didn't have a lot of experiences where I did things that are clearly wrong that at least I haven't learned from so right. I think I'm not terrible um, but there's always a space where like maybe I could have been better if I had kind of more UX experience or more like engineering experience so, so that, that's that's the piece I'm referring to so it's, it's not mm. that um, but 
but to go back to your question, um, I think for me personally, I think it did, right? Like it's just, like it's unquestionably true that I wouldn't have been able to do the same job and have, have the same level of performance if it wasn't for the fact that I spent that time in consulting. Right. But consulting is a very binary thing as well. And I, 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 I talk to people, I hired, I hired a lot of consultants. So I've been at Amazon for a while now and I've been hiring a lot of people. And, and I just by, by, by my, my background, like people reach out, we have common kind of experiences. Exactly. And, and, and I talk to people a lot and I've observed a lot of consultants also kind of who transition to a place like Amazon. And, and the way I kind of see it in my, like around me and the way I talk about it to people is that consulting gives you a very good toolkit, right? In terms of that, that fungibility, being able to jump from one problem to another without kind of respecting the functional lines too much. Like you right. can't afford to, if you have two months to say like, this is a marketing problem or this is like an operations problem. You just need to figure out what the answer is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the product management, as we talked earlier, a lot of product management problems are like that. So consulting definitely gives you that fungibility. It, it, it gives you that, uh, what I would call like enterprise-wide view early on mm. in your career, where you're thinking about what's good for the company overall, because you're at least in a place like McKinsey, your clients tend to be like people who care about what's happening in overall company rather than a specific function, exactly. uh, which is again, as a product management manager, that's what you need to be thinking about. Um, and it gives you some, some hard skills around uh, analytics, uh, being able to think in data and being able to use financial information kind of effectively. Um, mm. and, and then finally communication skills. Uh, and when I say communication skills, I'm not talking about how to make a good PowerPoint presentation, although you get better at it, of course, at consulting, but but what underlines the good PowerPoint right. presentation, which is the synthesis, essentially. Exactly. The, 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 the top top down kind of communication right. style. You start with a general idea, like a governing idea, and then you start like breaking it down layer by layer. Um, it ends up being also a good way to talk about things, even if you're not making a, a PowerPoint presentation. Um, so and that's a good skill, like regardless of where you go, uh, it's probably a good skill for life. So, right. you, so you get some of those skills out of consulting, but what happens when you go to a place like Amazon specifically, or to do product management or something like it in general, um, is that there's there's a, almost like a bright line that comes about where you, you, you decide to either take your skills and become an owner. So as a consultant, you're consulting people. You're at the end of the day, you're making recommendations. You're not doing anything yourself. You're making recommendations to others who can make decisions. Right. Um, and people who are able to quickly understand that now as a product manager or now as a kind of operations manager or whatever, I'm the one making decisions and I'm using those tools to empower me, not to empower someone else mainly, um, mm. are able to be very successful versus people who stay in that counselor role uh, right. and kind of present information or present data in a way where there's no decision being made. They are trying to influence someone else to make the decision because in an environment like where we are, it can come across as like, 
you're you're not trying to put yourself out there. You're not trying to take risks, um, and and that doesn't work. Like as a product manager, like at the end of the day, exactly. I don't care yeah. what you are like you're responsible for what comes out of the product. So you better might, might as well make the right decisions rather than try to convince others to make the decisions for you. Um, yeah. There's a completely different level of ownership for sure. Yeah, and and I, and 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 really, it's I I think it's. I say it's as simple as, but it's hard, I know, but it's as simple as a, a mental switch, right? Some people have that switch turned on and they realize there's no one to advise here. It's me. I'm making decisions. And they're able to use all that good experience they got from consulting to 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 move ahead. Yeah. Uh, or, or people who cannot switch out of that mindset and continue to be in this kind of what I'd like to say, like horizontal influencing kind of mindset sure. where I'm trying to get other people to do stuff. I'm trying to kind of work the organization, um, which just most of the time we don't have a lot of time for that. Yeah. No, I, I think I would totally agree with you um, on 100% of the things you said. I, I would add on my end at least two things to that. One is um, problem-solving ability, right? So I think you touched on that when you said, like when you mentioned fungibility, um, but just the ability to define problems and break them down into pieces um, mm. across different areas um, was something that consulting sort of beat into me um, very, very well. Um, and I, I personally like, like to mention always that um, defining the problem is usually the hardest part. Um, knowing what the right question to ask is and then finding the answers is quite often more of a mechanical effort, despite it being sometimes like very difficult and very tricky, but it's still like a matter of effort and, and resources more than a matter of thinking. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I think consulting was also very helpful to me on when I transitioned into the world of product. And then the other thing, um, which sort of, you know, overlaps with the communication piece that you mentioned is just being able to influence others, which um, I think product managers have to do a lot of that, especially in large organizations um, yeah. versus like startups, because you work across like teams that are, you know, they own parts of the problem, but they don't report to you or they don't report even to your boss or they belong to a completely different organization within the same company. Um, and you want to convince them to of your vision or the, of that, you have a real customer problem, et cetera. And that when you when you're when you're very well trained on defining problems and then communicating them in a top-down fashion, um, yeah. it it helps a lot um, as a product manager um, to to have that kind of skill set, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one thing I, I know a lot of people are are very interested in because I, I get questions about it literally every week is what makes a good product manager? So I thought maybe you can touch upon like just a, a story or even like whatever, however you want to structure it, like the best product manager you've worked with. Um, I remember you telling me about a couple of them um, back in the day, but what makes like an ideal product manager? You lead the large team of product managers and, and actually people who manage product managers as well. Um, now and you started as an individual contributor and now you need a fairly large team um, so you've seen it across the board so I thought if if you have a couple of stories to share there um, that would be great yeah it's a good question and it's, it's a good one to reflect on uh, the one thing that jumps right away is that there is no type 
uh, like the hmm. give you a couple of examples, and they probably have very little in common uh, between them as people in terms of background and and so on. Um, so having had this whole discussion about consulting and kind of different ways you can start into get into product management, um, there is not one way to be successful. Um, but just before before getting into it, I would say in in, in Kind of if you didn't get it in all, everything I'm, I'm, I've, I've been talking about and, and I'm trying to synthesize it well, um, there is that sense of, of, of ownership that is for real, right? That exactly. You, that yeah. you need to have, right? It's very easy. People talk all the time. It's one of those like corporate America thing now about like ownership and having an owner mindset and so on. And yeah, exactly. The, the principles and everyone talks about it. Um, but when it comes down to it, being an owner means like it's your business. Like if this is your business, what are you going to do? If you have money to lose, if you have like livelihood that is dependent on you making decisions, how are you going to approach this? Um, and I think good product managers are able to get into that mind space. Um, right. And consistently. So I think, a lot, as I said, a lot of people talk about it, but not a lot of people practice it. Um and, and you know what? And on this point, um, I think it's a brilliant point because it, it just, it's very subtle, right? Like you don't, um, it's not something that you, you can just, you know, show in a, in a performance review, like, hey, I've done ownership on one, two, and three very easily, right? Um, so a lot of people sort of, it, it escapes them that sense of ownership and it shows in the details, don't you think? Like it really shows like when, when there's a PM who is, went out of their way and decided, okay, this is not working for the customer, but it's not my, my fault. So I'm going to stop here versus the other PM who's going to be, um, it isn't my fault, but I realized that there is a different system that is broken somewhere, for example, and I'm going to go and reach out to the owners of that system um, and figure out a path forward with them. And then they come back to you with that path forward, right? Versus saying, hey, here's the customer problem. It's not our fault, or you know, maybe it is, um, and then we stop there. Yeah, I mean, let me let, let me put it this way: I I don't see, I don't know of any problem that I faced or others around me faced that cannot be solved by asking yourself the question of, if this is your business, what would you do? Exactly. Um, yeah. Because it's a really powerful one. Everything everything falls apart as soon as you say that because like we don't have enough engineers, we don't have resources. It's like great, yeah. I started the company and I had half an engineer that was me, uh, and I had and I had to do stuff. Like what would you do, right? Yeah. If it means and Amazon kind of got, became bigger and more specialized, but when I joined, I didn't have a BI team. I didn't have anyone who can put data for me. I knew some SQL, but I had to get better at it and I had to go figure out like how to pull data and kind of get what I need because the answer of going to someone and saying, well, we don't have the data in this report yeah. because I didn't have a BI person on my team just doesn't work. doesn't work, yeah. Um, so, so, so that's, I think that's definitely it. Like I, I, we can talk more about it, but like if, if, if you, being able to be that person who people trust to take problems personally and then try to approach them the way they would approach a problem in their own business where their own money uh, is at stake. Uh, that's like 80% of the way to being a great product manager. 
that is you hit the nail on the head man like that is really 80% of of the attitude um and and probably the skills too because once you start thinking in that exact mindset like if this was my business and my capital on the line what would i do you are going to force yourself to acquire any skills that are stopping you from doing what you need to do right exactly exactly and i mean yeah. I, i'm sure i'm sure there are some level where if i'm working on alexa like core ai and there's a problem with voice um kind of the algorithms for voice well, um, of course yeah. but at the same time i'll be able to go out and figure out who's good at it and exactly go right um, exactly like and, and i think that's a that's a really important distinction like sometimes there are skills that you just can't do or certain areas of the data that you don't have access to period but yeah. again as an owner if you were to own this business you would figure out who can do it and go reach out to them and hire them or you know in the case of being a pm in a big company partner yeah. with them etc so it's it's a huge difference versus oh we don't have the data or we don't have yeah. the number of engineers that we need or something like that now yeah no it's uh, it's a it's a really really big difference cool so um yeah man thank you so much for uh, for taking all this time today um and i really really appreciate it and i think it's uh, it's been a a really exciting conversation across the board from consulting to product management to a lot of other things so yeah i really appreciate you being here man no this was fun and uh i'll i'll always have the honor of being your first guest like <laughs> yeah. this was huge I'll, i'll i'll be telling people <laughs> 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 yeah yeah i i i'm i'm looking forward to you also being the you know recurring guest not just I, the first guest ha- i'll happily do it um, <laughs> awesome <forward> to it. <laughs> all right cool man thank you so much all right take care all right take care bye